0: Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, thank you that When we open Scripture alone, and when we open Scripture together, it does something to us. We like to say we don't just learn new things, we become new people. Your Word is alive, and it works in us, and it changes us, and I pray that you would do that very thing and glorify yourself this morning. So just take a few minutes or take a few moments and I would invite you with your heads bowed to silently ask God, if you're searching and you are not a follower of Jesus but you're curious, I would invite you in this moment of silence to ask him to show himself to you. And if you have been following Jesus no matter how long, I would invite you to ask him to teach something new this morning in a way that would change you. Just do that for a moment in silence. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I was, um, this is like 20 years ago or something like that. I was a youth pastor in Strongsville, it's a, it's a place where I, I first started ministry. This actually is not in my notes this morning. I'm going off the cuff, so uh, forgive me if I have to think how to say this. Um, uh, Ron Mowry was the first pastor that kind of uh, discipled me and, and mentored me, and he, uh, it, was a, it was a Methodist church in Strongsville, and so he would take me to uh, funerals and weddings and, and just helped me figure out how to, how to be a pastor. And we were at a funeral one time and he said, um, he looked at me and he said, this is the weirdest thing about when a Methodist pastor is leading a funeral and he looks out and he sees another Methodist pastor, he always asks that pastor to come up and say f- a few words and I hate it. He goes, I just wanna be here for the family at the funeral and he's gonna, watch, he's gonna ask me to come up and say something. And I, I, uh, I was like, really? And he said, yeah, just watch. So we get into the funeral, and the guy's like, and I see Ron Mowry out there. Ron, would you come up here and say a few words? And uh, he looked at me like, I told you, I hate this. Um, So I've never forgot that. So I just want to say this morning that um, I'm not going to call him up here, but uh, I was surprised this morning when I saw one of... a pastor who is taking me to a whole nother level and teaching me how to be a pastor. And this place is different directly because of him. Him and his wife, Lenita, Matt and Lenita Boyers surprised me this morning. My wife knew about it. Alex knew about it. I didn't know about it. So I saw someone riding up on their motorcycle. I was like, somebody's really cool here. I don't know who that is. And I was like, that's what? That's Matt and Lenita. So they, they Road here this morning, about three hours to be here with us. And I guess we're going to go riding afterwards and have some lunch. So I just want to say thank you guys. Uh, thanks, Matt, for your incredible investment in my life. And I wouldn't be the pastor I am or am becoming without you. So, so, so pumped you guys are here. So excited to have lunch with you and Lanita. All right, life in the kingdom. Now I feel safe. I'm at my notes again. Life in the kingdom. So we've been going through the series. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through and we're beginning to learn a few things. We're beginning to see some major, big-picture things about God rising to the surface, and I just want to make note of those before we get into the particulars of this passage. So if you're following along, there are some fill-in-the-blanks this morning, and you can fill those in if you'd like, or you can just Listen. The first thing that I want us to pay attention to, though, that we see coming to the surface as we're studying these passages together, is number one, God wants us to become the type of people who can handle whatever life throws at us. God wants us to become the type of people who can handle whatever life throws at us. So I've said this before, these three words, but St. John of the Cross uh, says that there are three characteristics of everybody who is living in the kingdom, who is being empowered by the Holy Spirit for their life. And those three words are tranquility, gentleness, and strength. We've said this many times from the pulpit. Tranquility, gentleness, and strength. Tranquility, the inner, your inner world is peace. Gentleness, your outer interactions with others is gentle because of that peace. And yet, you're not a pushover. There's tremendous strength, but it's strength under power. Tranquility, gentleness, and strength. And what we find sometimes is we're going along fine in life. Everything's good. Everything's smooth. And you're starting to feel pretty good about your life. And then God drops something into your life. And it moves you off-center, away from that peace and tranquility and that sense of God's strength. And you kind of go temporarily insane, You start trying to figure out how to fix your life apart from God, and you lose that tranquility and gentleness and strength. This happened to me a couple times in the past few weeks. I had to have Pastor Al and my wife talk me off the cliff here. Some crazy things happened to me, just dropped into my life, and I went temporarily insane. I lost my mind. I lost my focus. I lost my center in Jesus. I think it's Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I find that it's very easy for me to take my focus off of Jesus, off of his kingdom, into the circumstances of the world that make me feel crazy. But God wants us to be competent for life as it shows up at our doorstep. And one of our responsibilities, if you have kids as parents, is to convince your kids before they go off into the world that with Christ, they are competent for their lives. There's, people uh, give this statement a hard time, especially lately, last few years, uh, when people say, God won't give you anything you can't handle, and there's like a big backlash against it. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Well, when you're in Christ, no, he won't. Because the worst that happens is you die and you're with Jesus. And that's even better than this reality. So God won't give you anything you can't have, handle when you're in Christ. Apart from him, you're trying to figure it out on your own. That's why we invite you to be in his family. The second thing, God's goal for us is to be full and happy in him. There's your blanks. God's goal for us is to be full and happy in him. And these aren't my, this isn't my vocabulary. People a lot smarter than me have been saying this for a, lot, a long time. But full and happy in God is actually what Christian joy looks like. Because God-empowered joy is actually what helps us to endure suffering. So I use this um, illustration maybe a a year or two ago but there's enough new people here that we can I can use it again and it'll be fresh to some of you but I want to compare Christian joy to that there's a really really deep sea fish that swims around the bottom of the ocean and any other living thing if it was swimming at that level would be absolutely crushed by it it just could not survive the water pressure and so they did a study of this fish And they brought it out of the water and they found that it has these glands that actually push outward to such a degree that it matches the pressure pushing inward. So the force that's inside of them pressing outward is matching the force of the water that is trying to crush them. And that's why those fish can just swim through crazy amounts of pressure and not be crushed by it. That's Christian joy. That's what, how God has designed us to live. Now, none of us are there yet. None of us will ever get there perfectly. But it's something that we're moving towards. So how do we get to that place? How do we become competent for our lives in real time as it's happening while maintaining joy in all circumstances? Uh, the passage today actually helps us take a few steps in that direction. And this isn't what I thought the passage was saying when I started studying it, but it actually gives some good counsel in this area. So let's look at it together. It's in your notes if you don't have it. It's Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And like we often do, I'm just going to read a little bit at a time and stop and talk about it and then read a little bit more. Starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So first of all, I want you to see that these verses are actually inviting you to have a conversational prayer life with Jesus. And if you took nothing else away from this message other than, you know what, I think I'm going to start talking to God more. That's a huge takeaway. You can stop listening now and take a nap. You're allowed doing that. If you're going to do that, then you're, you're done for the day. You put your time in because that is a big-time takeaway to just say, I'm going to start saying a sentence at a time throughout the day, interacting with God, talking to him about the things that are happening in front of me. Big-time takeaway. And I actually would challenge and invite you to do that. See it as an invitation. Just start saying one sentence at a time, committing yourself in that moment or whatever you're dealing with to God. Ask, seek, and knock. Um, those verbs. It, the Bible was written in Greek. Some churches teach that the Bible was written in the New King or the King James version, but is actually written in Greek, and it's those words actually. Um, the verbs are said in such a way grammatically that it's an ongoing process. It's not just something that you do once and it's over. The verb tense used means that this is continual. So asking and seeking and knocking as a way of conversational prayer with God is something that we should always be about doing Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So one of the things I learned about myself when I started having, uh, when Karen and I started having kids, um, and it was a shocker to me, it was actually very surprising, that I'm I'm selfish, and I know, that's hard to imagine, but I, I learned this about myself, and I never thought I was until I started having kids, and I realized that I'm actually a little bit selfish. When, when we had Abby, uh, we were living in Medina, an apartment at the time, and um, we, we had like a crib or something that we put beside the bed in our bedroom, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, and we just put Abby in there and she didn't really sleep. I thought she was just gonna sleep through the night. I had no idea. Nobody tells you these things. The baby doesn't sleep through the night at first. And so it was like she was loud and she was colicky, I think. And she's wonderful. She's wonderful and beautiful now. But when she was a baby, she was like really loud and kind of colicky. And I remember, like, Kara would just kept, like, getting her up in the middle of the night, and she would, like, she was nursing her, and she was laying in bed beside me. I was just trying to think of a diplomatic way to say, "Uh, she's really loud. Is there, can you take her to another room? I really need my sleep here. I, I just, I never got the courage to say it. But I really wanted to, because she was loud. And I've realized how ridiculously selfish I was. Don't do that. Some new dads in here, I think, so just don't, don't you be like me. And there's another story Morgan Snyder talks about when he first had kids. He's like a podcaster. And he was walking through the airport one time, and they're like running to their gate because they're late because they have little kids. His wife is carrying a kid. He's carrying a kid in one one arm. He's got the diaper bag here. He's trying to like put the... <laughs> the milk on his arm to see if it's warm enough, however that happens, and trying to feed the baby. And they're all running, and he looks over, and he sees someone walking through the airport, some young person carrying a backpack and carrying a pillow. And he started calling these people pillow. You have no idea how hard life is. If you can walk through an airport with a pillow, are you kidding me? He got very angry at that time. But he started to realize, too, he was talking about how for him... God chose to use kids to show him his selfishness. He, d- he uses other things for other people. Not everybody is meant to have kids. But for people that do, they're a pretty good tool to show you your selfishness, as it was for me. So I discovered that one of the most powerful forces in the universe for me to overcome my selfishness is the love that I had for my kids. Because selfishness is a pretty strong force. But your love for kids is even stronger. It's One of the only forces strong enough to overcome this selfishness. And if you're a parent, don't you find yourself wanting to do lavish things for your kids? And really generous things for your kids? Just just to see them experience your delight in them. Isn't it like that for you sometimes? John Calvin has a quote. He says, self-love renders us malicious. For every man is too much devoted to himself and neglects and disregards others. But this vice yields to the stronger feelings of a father's love. So that men forget themselves and give to their children with overflowing liberality. So in our text this morning, Jesus is saying, if you all who are pure evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Okay, so what we've learned so far, through a persistent conversational prayer life, God wants wants to give us good gifts. And now the question is, what do those good gifts actually look like? Because a lot of times, God's idea of a good gift and my idea of a good gift are two completely separate things. Because when I'm in a crunch, here's what I typically pray for. I want immediate relief of some type of suffering or I want immediate resolution to some type of problem. Like, heal this sickness, fix this problem. And what I want to say first, pastorally, is that's okay. You're allowed asking. I'm allowed asking for those things. We have permission by way of all sorts of things and all sorts of examples in Scripture to ask for those things. And you know what? Sometimes God gives it to you. Sometimes he does take the suffering away or the sickness away. He can do whatever he wants and sometimes he does fix the problem immediately. But we also need to have a category of understanding that sometimes he doesn't. And we see this type of prayer modeled perfectly in Gethsemane. And Jesus is in a garden and he's being crushed by the pressure of the knowledge that he's been in safe, secure, wonderful, beautiful, loving relationship with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity. you know, Jesus didn't have a first name until he became a human. He was always the eternal son. He became a human being. He got the name Jesus. And he was never outside of the Father's joyful, loving delight. We see this when he got baptized. The Father affirmed him in front of everybody. But Jesus was in a garden. He was realizing that the moment had come for the first time he's going to be on the other end of that. He's actually going to be facing the the eternal wrath of God in a moment for us so that we could be in the family forever. And Jesus was all about it, but he said, is there any way? He said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Cup representing the wrath of the father. But we have to eventually get to instant relief might not be the best answered prayer in this situation. It wouldn't have been for us if if the Father would have answered it that way because we wouldn't have been able to be in the family. There was no other way. He had to endure the wrath that we deserved. So before finishing the sentence, Jesus acquiesces to his Father's will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And here's another thing I want you to take away from all of this. It's in your, you can fill it in. God always gives us the greater good. He always gives us the greater good. Now, the trick is, the greater good is not always obvious. Tim Keller says this far better than I could. He says, If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what He gives. You believe that? If you had God's perspective on your situation, on your life, if He could, if you could see the whole picture in your life from beginning to end, your eternity on into your eternal everlasting life, if you could see things exactly how He could see it, you would ask for exactly what He gives you in prayer. Isn't that crazy? It's like that, um, that old country song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. I mean, it's actually, that's pretty good. It's pretty good theology. I agree, I do too. So let's do a thought experiment real quick. Real quick thought experiment. I want you to imagine, just humor me, just seriously imagine what your life would look like right now if God had answered yes to everything you've ever asked him for. Seriously, what would your life look like if God had said yes to everything you'd asked him for? Would you be here right now? Probably not. I wouldn't be here right now. I would be sitting right now as the all-time uh, NFL rushing leader. I was at Tree Climbers at Grace Church, which was awesome. I was baptized by Bob Federhoff and Worcester and... Love those brothers and sisters over there. Um, And I was at this program when I was a kid called Tree Climbers, and I remember the guy saying, you can pray for whatever you want. That's the cool thing about this. He's right, you can't pray for whatever you want. So I I prayed, I want to be better than Walter Payton. I want to be the all-time leading NFL rusher and just make that happen, and we're good. I wouldn't even ask for anything else. That's where I'd be. I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Or put another way, Okay, So let's not imagine what life would look like if God said yes to all your prayers, because that would be a disaster. We, we admit that now. We should admit that now. Imagine you had toddlers, and you said yes to everything they asked for. How chaotic would your life be? Would they be alive anymore? Probably not. And relatively speaking, compared to God's wisdom, we're just a little bit smaller, uh, smarter than Toddlers. I mean, have you ever talked with someone who was really angry with God because they didn't answer the prayer the way that, God didn't answer the prayer the way that they wanted it to be answered. You ever talk to someone? They're just mad. I asked for this, he didn't do it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm mad at him. That was me this past couple weeks. I mean, this toxic two things dropped into my schedule And I had an idea and I just said, God, I've got an easy solution. I know how to handle, I know how to take care of this right now. Just give me this easy solution. Here's what you do. Boom. Problem solved. We can go on with our life. Don't even have to think about it anymore. It's a real easy solution. Just just do this. And God, it felt like God was saying, yeah, get to the part where you say your will be done. That's a hard part to get to. And I'm like, why do I always have to be the one that bends? And it's because God always gives us the greater good. When we ask, seek, and knock, we usually pray for things that make our lives easier. But God is always working to make us into the type of people who don't need life to be easier. And he'll use every single circumstance in our life as it is right now to accomplish that end. I forgot to bring it, Smitty, but uh, I went over to Brian uh, Smith's this week um, and I was just done working on, I mean, I've been working on this and he gives me this article that he read. Uh, you'll have to ask him the newspaper, I forget. It's like a farmer's newspaper, a weekly farmer's newspaper or something. You can ask Smitty, he's got the hat on the back. Um, but it was this very exact thing that God does not typically give us the easy way out in prayer instead he uses our circumstances to get us to relent to his will and desire for our lives and then makes us stronger and gives us a greater capacity to handle the crazy that's coming at us without us ourselves going crazy because maybe if god were to immediately relieve you of what's causing you suffering Maybe it would actually short circuit something he's trying to strengthen in you. And maybe he does, he is interested in not just making your life easier, but making you the type of person who can handle life however it shows up. There's a great passage for reflection, and it's in your notes too, it's James 1, 2, and 5, uh, 1, 2 through 5, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But um, it talks about suffering and the things that God produces in us when we suffer. And the classic illustration of this that every pastor uses when they talk about these types of passages is the, the moth and the cocoon. You know, a moth um, needs to go through a real struggle, a real struggle battle to exercise its wings so that its body is not so bloated when it comes out of the cocoon. And the goal is that it struggles hard enough to the place where it can actually get out of the cocoon and fly and be a butterfly. And there are stories of people short-circuiting the struggle that the, the moth is in by cutting it open and snipping it open. And this moth has this bloated body and these weak wings and never flies and ends up dying and doesn't become a butterfly. It's a really, it's a cute illustration, but it's right on. That is exactly what God's wanting to do. And sometimes we shouldn't pray for the easy way out for us and sometimes we shouldn't pray for the easy way out for others if we sense that God's trying to do something else. The last line of this is, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what are the good things that God gives us? Let's end with that. What are the good things that God gives us? when we ask and seek and knock, when we pursue him in this type of prayer. And actually, the more appropriate way to ask it is what is the good thing? Singular. Because this, what this passage is actually telling us is that the thing that we need more than anything and able to handle the things that come at us in life is more of God. God. He is what makes us competent for our lives. He is what enables us to have a joy that stays with us and powers us through suffering. And the reason I'm making this connection is because if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you're just exploring a little bit, there's the first four um, books in the second kind of third of the Bible called the New Testament. The first four books are called the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're biographical sketches of Jesus's life. Uh, And they're nuanced in different ways to make different points about Jesus. But sometimes the same thing is told in multiple Gospels. And there's a parallel passage to this one in Luke. I want to read it to you. It's Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, sound familiar? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The solution to our problems is more of him. And the way that God is present to us right now in our lives here on earth is through the power of the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us. And just really quickly, because sometimes there's confusion about the Holy Spirit and what he does, I want to I give you big picture Holy Spirit 101, just two things that the Holy Spirit is always at work doing. And again, smarter people than I came up with this vocabulary, this isn't mine. One is there is a universal natural work of the Spirit, which means that big picture, the Holy Spirit is keeping the universe from falling apart. That's one of the things he's doing. Big picture, he makes it rain in places that he wants to make it rain. He stops the rain in places he wants to stop the rain. The the Spirit is the agent that's doing all these things. He keeps the seasons consistent. It's going to be fall soon and I cannot hardly wait because it's my favorite season followed by my favorite holiday Christmas and the Holy Spirit keeps the seasons coming so we can thank him when we start seeing the leaves change. Then he brings the winter. That's good for us too. Uh, He sustains creation. He constrains evil. He keeps us from killing each other. The Holy Spirit is actually holding evil back. It's never going to get so bad that the whole world just dies because we all kill each other. He's constraining evil. Big picture stuff he's doing. He's turning every event that happens to everyone who's a citizen of his kingdom to the ultimate good for everyone and them personally. That's insane. When crazy stuff happens, just remember God can shoot straight with a crooked stick. He'll take whatever and make it good. Big picture stuff. So this is kind of the universal, natural work of the Holy Spirit. It's big, it's grand, it's abstract, we can't grab onto it, it's impersonal. But, here's the second thing the Holy Spirit is doing. There's a particular personal work of the Holy Spirit that's communicated personally to every single citizen of the kingdom in a way that cares for them in whatever circumstance they find themselves. And this is how the Holy Spirit interacts with you personally in your life. When you place your faith in Christ and he sends the Spirit, he says, your life is going to be really hard because living in an invisible kingdom in a crazy world sometimes is hard. So I'm going to make it easier for you and send you the Spirit so you can handle it. So not only is the Holy Spirit keeping the seasons consistently in rotation, he's also comforting when when you feel sad. Not only is the Holy Spirit keeping the earth from falling apart, He's going with you on the first day of school when you're nervous. Not only is the Holy Spirit watering the earth with rain as He chooses, He's deepening and expanding your sense of peace as you go through the chaotic storms of life. And the way all this happens is through this ongoing personal connection with the living King in prayer. A few helpful thoughts to keep in mind as you start practicing this. One, when you pray, have in mind a long view rather than an immediate fix. Have in mind a long view rather than an immediate fix. So sometimes you learn just enough verses to be dangerous. And I learned this verse uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when I first learned that verse, you know what I did? Okay, I'm anxious about this. Okay, God, I'm gonna pray about it. Boom, I prayed about it. I stopped, and I was still anxious. I was like, I thought the Bible was like didn't lie. Like you you said that there would be peace. Like, where's the peace? Let me try. Am I doing this wrong? So maybe I need to thank him for 10 things. It says be thankful. So I'm gonna thank you for 10 things, transactional way of relating. Just make it good. Make me happy. Let's go. And it wasn't happening. And what I began to realize is God didn't give you a time frame on this stuff. And most prayers, the effect of prayer is generally delayed. And God was saying, I, I'm not sure I'm going to give you instant peace now, but I'm going to help you become the type of person who has a pretty consistent inner world of peace. It's ongoing. Number two, when you pray, be open to how God might be at work, even in your suffering. Even in your suffering. James 1, 2 and, 2 through 2-5 that I mentioned earlier. It encourages us to ask for wisdom. Now, I think that is a blank check. I think we can ask God for wisdom about anything that we want. That's always a good thing, and he promises to give it to us. We just have to believe it when he gives to us, or we're going to be double-minded. But in the context of that passage specifically, he's talking about asking for wisdom, and I think he means insight for the suffering that we're going through, because the verses before it talk about the suffering we're going through. You should be really, really happy when you suffer is what the passage is saying, because God's doing some good things in you. And you might not understand it. so go ahead and ask God what he's up to. And I think that's pretty good advice. When you're suffering, you can ask for immediate relief. There's things I'm asking for relief for myself, for my wife, for my daughters. I'm asking for, for friends that I love and care for. I'm asking for immediate release. But I'm also asking after that, what are you up to here? What are you up to here? I don't want to miss what you're trying to do in the suffering because this definitely feels like suffering. What are you doing? And just listen. And the third thing is just pray. And I want to read you a quote from a book called Praying, Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. It's a great book. And um, I don't want you leaving today and feeling scared to pray because you're afraid you're going to pray the wrong way. That would, you just completely, I would have blown it if that's what you leave with. The answer is just start praying. God will sort it out. One of the benefits of Jesus is he fixes our prayers before it gets to the Father. Like there's a lot behind that, but that's basically what he does. It's basically what the Bible says Jesus does in our prayers. And I want to read this quote. Some people get so entangled in the various do's and don'ts of prayer So transfixed by the problem of sorting out what is our part and what is God's part, so bogged down fretting over whether they, as flawed humans, should ask anything of a holy, almighty God, or conversely, whether there's any point in asking, since God will do what he wants anyway, that they become paralyzed about praying. Don't fret. Just pray. God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. That's all anyone needs to know. That book was written by Carolyn Nystrom and um, J.I. Packer. And it's right on. Just pray. Don't be afraid of talking to your father. Don't be afraid of screwing up when you talk to your dad. He'll fix it where it needs to be fixed. Just ask and seek. And knock. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.